I'm reading from Matthew 13, verses 24 to 52. The parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When there did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I would tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He then told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the burning or blazing furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom in heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and brought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled up onto the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore every teacher of the law who has become disciple in the kingdom of God is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Thanks, Fiona. Hi everyone, my name's Scott. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Bracker. Great to be back with you this morning. And especially, I just wanted to start by saying a huge thanks to everyone who stepped up and um, chipped in over the last couple of weeks. Uh, My family was down and out with COVID for a little bit and really appreciate that plenty of you just stepped in and did heaps to make things work. So thank you. Um, I wanted to start today by asking a question. 
I'm sure that all of us are going to agree that this world is not a perfect place, right? There's, there's, there's problems that need fixing. So what would you do? Uh, what changes do you want to see to make things better? Why don't you turn to someone who's close by you right now and, and ask that. Have a quick, quick chat. Ask, ask each other that question. What changes do you want to see to make things better? I'll give you a couple moments to talk with someone beside you. I haven't given you near enough time there. Um, there's so much to say here. But, but tell me, what, what are some of the things? What, what, what changes do you want to see to make things better? Tell me, tell me some of your responses. Bringing prayer back. Recognizing that God is the one who gives good gifts. We need to be praying more often. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Hazel. Yeah, distributing food, resources, wealth. So we, have, we produce enough food to feed everyone, but there's still people that are starving in our world. Yeah. One more, maybe? Kindness and understanding and respect for the first people, indigenous peoples of different nations. I'm assuming ours, but potentially also wider than just Australia as well. There's all sorts of things we could do here. We've just been through a state election. We're about to hit a federal election in a few weeks' time, and, and already you would have noticed it's all through the news now. There's a battle of ideas, both parties making promises, saying what they're going to do to make things better, and you know, we get to choose which one we think is going to do the right thing. It, often, though, the political parties, they don't agree with each other on what to do. They don't even always agree on what the problems are. And even here, we might not agree with each other about what the best way forward is, but we all agree, I'm sure, that there are problems in the world and we'd like to see something done about that. You know, back in Jesus' time, they felt the same way. There were problems then that they saw and they wanted things to get better back then as well. But for them, the solution to the problem is very different from what most Australians would look towards today. We might look for a government to fix the problems. We might look for charities, churches, people to step in and fix the problems. But back then, they were looking for the kingdom of heaven to come, the kingdom of God to come, a time when God's going to send his Messiah down. He's going to get rid of the Romans who are ruling and doing all sorts of bad things. And this Messiah is going to lead the nation of Israel. And in fact, he's going to lead the whole world into a better age. That was their great hope. That's what they were looking forward to. And, and so that's the scene that Jesus comes into. And then Jesus steps into that scene and he says, I'm the one. I'm the one who's going to bring that kingdom of heaven. It's an incredible claim. And the people back then would have been kind of looking to see what he does then. Is Jesus going to be the one to fix the messes that we see in front of us? And, you know, if you were looking at the time, you would have seen some really positive things. Like, you'd be able to, you know, maybe that, that blind guy who used to beg on the street corner that you lived on, he's not there anymore. And you've heard from the neighbors that he was healed. He can see again. He doesn't need to beg, but now he can go and work because Jesus came and healed him. You'd see things like this, and that would give you hope. Maybe Jesus is the one that can fix up this mess. But by and large, you'd probably be waiting for something more as well. So Jesus has done some good things, but ultimately, if this is all he does, it's kind of underwhelming, a bit of a disappointment. He hasn't really done what you thought he would, because most of the problems that we see are still there. Jesus hasn't made the changes that we need. 
Here at church, we've been going through a book in the Bible called Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus' life. And in turn, one, we've really gone through from chapter 8 to chapter 13. And we've seen Jesus bring clarity on heaps of different stuff. Today, this is our final time in Matthew this year. Um, And as we look through Matthew, and we look through the last bit of chapter 13, we see that Jesus keeps telling parables. And each of these parables begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on to explain. So today, as we see what the kingdom of heaven is like, as we see the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring, he he actually shows us his, his vision for a better world. And the question left for us is, do we want to be in with Jesus? There are three big things that Jesus tells us about his kingdom. The first of them is this. The kingdom of heaven is growing. Uh, the first three parables that Jesus speaks, they show us that the kingdom of heaven is growing. So we come across the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Uh, this is the one where the farmer sows the wheat into the fields, but at night an enemy comes into the same fields and sows uh, some weeds in there. And the word for weeds there, it's not just any weed, it's a specific kind of weed called darnel. Um, and the problem with darnel, the, the reason why it's such an insidious thing to plant next to wheat, is that it looks like wheat for most of its life. Uh, you have to wait right until the very end at harvest time, and that's when you can spot the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And the point of the parable is, even though it's hidden, even though you can't see the wheat growing, it's hidden by the darn all weeds that are growing at the same time, growing around it. Even though you can't see it, the wheat is growing. The kingdom is growing. And then Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. Here we've moved from the farming fields into the veggie garden. And the owner of this veggie garden is about to plant a mustard seed. And it's a very small seed. You can see up there there how small it is. Um, The the point of the parable, though, is even though it's a small seed, it grows to be bigger than anything else in the veggie patch. And the point is that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's, It's growing. It might look small and insignificant to start off with, but it's growing. And there's a third parable of of the yeast in the dough. We've moved now from the veggie garden into the kitchen. And Jesus speaks of a woman who's got a big job, right? She's mixing up enough dough to make bread for about 100 people. Like This is huge amounts she's getting into. And Jesus, Jesus' point is he points out the small amount of dough that she mixes in. It's only a little bit, but it makes all the difference. And again, you see the point very clearly, don't you? The kingdom of heaven might seem insignificant, might seem just like, like the small bit of yeast amongst this huge batch of dough, but it spreads everywhere. And these parables, they all come in a row and they all show us Jesus' kingdom might seem small and insignificant and unimportant. It might seem underwhelming at times. But it's growing. We might not always see this growth, but it's happening. It's spreading everywhere. Now, take a moment to think um, of what it's like to be the disciples, what these parables mean for the disciples. At this stage here, they're just a small group of people following Jesus around. And very soon, he's going to tell them that they need to take this message of his kingdom across the whole world. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. How do you feel when you hear Jesus say that? 
take this message to the whole world. If that was me, I reckon I'd be timid, very uncertain about it. Wondering, yeah, just look at us, Jesus. Only a few of us here. How can we get anything done? There's hardly any of us. To remember these parables would have been hugely reassuring for them. And actually, look at where things are at now. There are people all over the world who belong to Jesus, who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, there's still more to do, but consider this, right? Um, This whole Jesus movement, it started in Israel. The other day I googled, what's on the other other side of the world to Israel? Does anyone want to have a guess? What's on the other side of the world to Israel? Any guesses? New New Zealand's pretty close, actually. The ocean is on the other side of the world. And that's, you know, 70% of the, the earth is covered in ocean. But it is, it's not far from New Zealand and Australia there. That is, the news of Jesus has gone all around the globe. It's come to us here in Australia now. The kingdom of heaven really has grown. You know, all sorts of people are coming into the kingdom too. I've been in churches where the, the, the super wealthy and the, 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 the quite poor sit side by side as brothers and sisters. Or even, even amongst our church here, there's great diversity. We're only a small church, but I was thinking about this the other day. Amongst us, there are people who are born in at least a dozen countries, I could count. People who have vastly different things that takes up their time during the week. We've got people who are, haven't yet had their first birthday all the way to people who are into their 80s. And again, I'm not saying here the job is done, but you see the kingdom of heaven is growing. The kingdom of heaven is growing. Perhaps you don't feel like this is happening though. You keep hearing that Christianity is on the decline, especially in Western countries like ours. And you, maybe you are the only believer that you know in your family or your workplace or the class that you're part of or your neighborhood or your group of friends. I mean, you only have to look at the stats in Paraka, our suburb here. Over the last 30 years, there's been less and less, fewer and fewer people are willing to call themselves Christians. It might feel like there's no growth going on. And so the thing to do is maybe just hide away in our Christian ghetto Make sure that we stay strong and give up on on any idea of mission and reaching out because there's just no growth, is there? But in these parables, Jesus is telling us, no. Jesus is telling us, be optimistic about mission because he says, my kingdom is growing. People are coming into it all the time, even if you can't see it, even if it's hidden from your eyes, it is happening. So when it comes to mission, as a church, we, we, we ought to be, as individuals, we need to be optimistic about mission. Are you? Are you? Jesus is using parables to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And the, the, he just said the kingdom of heaven is growing. And, and he's spoken these three parables to the whole the crowds. He's out and about. There are stacks of people sitting, sitting, listening to him. But then he moves inside, away from the crowds, into a house, just with his disciples. And he tells them two more parables. And if you've ever felt underwhelmed about Jesus, 
these parables are for you because in these parables, Jesus shows us just how very precious it is to belong to the kingdom of heaven. The first of these two parables is the parable of the treasure in the field. It's short enough to me to read out loud again. So let me read it to you. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. When I first read this parable, there were all sorts of questions. Maybe you have these kind of questions too, like, why is this guy digging in someone else's field? And shouldn't he tell the owner of the field what he found rather than buying the field so it can be his? And we actually aren't given any answers to these questions. Because this, this isn't supposed to be a story about uh, ethics or, or the morality of doing what he's doing. It, it's, it's, it's a short story with a simple point. It's a parable about, it's a story about finding great treasure. And notice how the guy reacts to finding the treasure. What is it? He, he reacts with joy. Life changing joy. In fact, he is so joyful. It's as if nothing else really matters for him. And so he sells everything he has just so he can have this one treasure. That's how precious it is. And then Jesus tells the next parable, the parable of the great pearl. And again, it's short, so I'm going to read it out to you. Here it is. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Here we meet a merchant. This is, this is someone who travels all over the world. He knows what he's looking for when it comes to pearls. That's, that's his whole purpose in life is to find the, the, the best and the most precious pearls. And on this day, he finds the one, the pearl of great value. So he gets rid of everything else he has just so he can have this one pearl. That's how precious it is. And the point of these parables is pretty plain, right? That's how precious it is to belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's just saying it is so good. It is so valuable it's even worth giving up all sorts of other stuff just so you can have this, just to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Again, imagine this from the point of view of the disciples. Already at this point, in, by chapter 13 of Matthew, already they've given up quite a lot to follow Jesus. Some had left their family business behind. Some had left uh, lucrative lines of work. All of them certainly have changed their life plans to be there with Jesus. And soon it's going to even get more intense for them. Of, of the 12 disciples, uh, we know that 11 of them ended up being killed, martyred for their belief because they followed Jesus. And the other one that they didn't kill, he was exiled and put into prison. These guys gave up plenty so imagine putting yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine recalling this parable, remembering actually how precious what they have is. Even in spite of what's being taken for them, what they have in the kingdom of heaven is so precious to bring them great joy. It reminds me of a, um, of a song in the line from, uh, from U2. Bono, the singer, he says... Um, Mr. I ain't got nothing, but it's more than you've got. How precious it is 
to belong to the kingdom of heaven. What is that like for you? How precious is it for you? How highly do you value that Jesus is your Lord and your King? Or does it sometimes feel like being a Christian is a bit of a drag? I'll be honest here. There, there are seasons with, with in life that I go through where I feel like being a Christian is more sacrifice than, than, than reward. A lot of sacrifice, not much gain. I don't know, maybe you have never felt like this. Maybe this, is just, maybe this is just me, but I reckon, I was thinking about this over the last week, I reckon I get like this because I've, I'm focusing on the, the wrong thing. I'm focusing on what I sacrifice, you know. Oh, gee, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, imagine how much extra time I'd have during the week and how much energy I'd have because I'm, I'm not serving or how much more money I'd have because I'm not giving or you know, how much more fun I could have because I'm not bound by Jesus' ethics. And that's why I reckon this parable of, of the hidden treasure, it's, it's really good because it reminded me of, of where my eyes need to be. Not on any sacrifice that I might make, I need to have my eyes on what it is that brings joy here. If, what, was it, what was it that brought joy for the man who found the treasure? It was actually seeing it. it, was, it it's belonging to the kingdom. It's, it's having my attention on Jesus and the kingdom that he, 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 he brings, gives me entry into. Having my eyes on how precious that is, is what life's about. Because when, when that happens, I'm not thinking about it. So any sacrifice I make kind of just fades into the background a little bit. It fades into the background because there's great joy in belonging to the kingdom. How precious is that for you? How, how, how often do you have your eyes focused on the joy of belonging to Jesus? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is growing and it's so very precious and then right at the end, Jesus gets, well, he gets really personal. He says, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, you cannot sit on the fence. Each of us needs to make a choice. And you see this in two of the parables he tells. We already looked at the parables of the weed and the wheat, but I didn't show you, I didn't explain how the parable ends. Uh, the, the, the wheat is hidden, sorry, the, the, yeah, the wheat is hidden by the weeds that are growing around it, but the, the wheat is still growing. And when it comes time for harvest, then the weeds and the wheat are separated. So look at verse 30. This is what the farmer says. He says to his workers, Let both grow together until harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then Jesus explains what this means in verse 40. He says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into a blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's intense, isn't it? And we see a similar thing at the, uh, with the parable of the fishing net. 
there the fishermen pull in their nets. The nets are full of all kinds of fish. And so when they get back to shore, they sit down and they separate it. They keep the good fish and they throw away the bad. And again, Jesus explains what this means in the next verse, verse 49. Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you can't avoid the point here. In both of these parables, it's really clear. Jesus is saying that a time is coming. And when it comes, there's going to be a separation. Because not everyone will belong to the kingdom of heaven. Which means we cannot sit on the fence. When it comes to Jesus, friends, you're either in or you're out. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, you're either in or you're out. Which means each of us needs to make a decision. This is not something we can sit on the fence with. We can't hedge our bets. We can't just kind of stand back and be neutral observers, watching what goes on from a distance. Each of us has a choice to make. Are we with Jesus? Or are we not? When we start to talk about this kind of stuff, though, um, some of us feel uneasy even if we've been at church for a while. Because some of this just sounds really harsh. Not just, not just talking about judgment, but think of the images that Jesus uses here. He talks about things that are going to be burned, a blazing furnace being thrown away, people weeping and gnashing their teeth. We hear this stuff, and it can be off-putting. You don't want to hear this. God's not supposed to be like this, is he? So what do we make of what we just read? Well, here's four things, four things I want to say. Firstly, Jesus uses images here. He talks about fire and blazing furnaces and this kind of thing. These are images Jesus uses to describe hell. They show us that hell is a place you don't want to be, but Jesus isn't saying that hell is like a big fire pit. It's an image. Jesus uses images that we do know to describe things that we can't possibly imagine. If anything, hell is far worse than a hot, hot fire. The great horror of hell is that none of God's goodness is there. None of God's love and mercy and grace are there. Jesus is using images. And and second, this passage doesn't speak about why God's judgment is a good and right thing. Other parts of the Bible will do that for us. will remind us of things like um, the goodness of God's justice. The goodness of seeing evil brought to account. But this passage, it doesn't answer all of our questions. Instead, it warns us. And so when we read this passage, we need to make sure that we heed the warning. Thirdly, warnings are a good thing. Like, remember back when this whole COVID thing started in beginning of 2020? No one ever wanted to hear there's a global pandemic and it has the potential to kill lots of people. No one wants to hear that, do they? But we needed to hear it. We needed to be warned. The solution wasn't to kind of put our hands over our ears and just ignore it. The solution, the solution wasn't to, to, to stop talking about it, even if it made us feel uncomfortable. And it's the same thing here. We might not want to hear about God's coming judgment, but that doesn't mean the solution is to stop talking about it. 
to put our hands over our ears and just ignore it. It might be uncomfortable, but it's right that we hear the warning so we can avoid the danger. So we can turn to Jesus and find safety there. So we can be part of his kingdom. The fourth thing, Jesus does point out the horror of hell here, but at the same time he shows us the beauty of his kingdom. Here is a place where where sin and evil are not there. Where, where, where no one there will commit acts of evil against one another anymore. But there's no weeping because there's nothing to be sad about. Well, there's no gnashing of teeth because misery is a thing of, of the past. Here is a place where there is joy and delight. It's the kind of life we all hope for. It might be hard to hear about hell, but there are very good reasons why Jesus talks about it. So let me conclude then. I started by asking, what changes do you want to see to make things better? There's lots of ideas, and there's lot because there's lots that needs to change. And it's right to fight for those changes that are good in this world. But today we've seen that fighting for those in the here and now is not the only thing. In fact, Jesus says the real answer lies in the kingdom that he will bring. Because there is a place where the problems of this life are gone. Where evil and injustice are done away with. That's why the kingdom is so very precious. That's why finding it brings great joy. And Jesus says the fullness of that kingdom is coming. Right now it's growing. The kingdom is growing. All sorts of people are coming in. And even if we don't see it, that's happening. But the end of the age will come. Jesus will return to this earth. And he will bring the kingdom of heaven in all its fullness. And so the question for all of us today then is this. Are you in? Are you in with Jesus? You can't sit on the fence. Are you in? I know there'll be some of us here today who are in. And we've been in for a while, maybe. If that's you, today I I just want to point out again, remember the joy of belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Don't let go of that. Have your eyes focused on, on the kingdom and the joy that it brings. But I also want to speak today, if you're here, and you realize for the first time you want to be part of that kingdom. If that's you, can I just ask you to do one thing? Here it is. Come and find me later. Or find Kieran who's been up here. Or find Ada who's been on the keys. Find someone that you trust and tell us. Tell us you want to be in because we would love to be with you as you take the first steps into the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Our good and gracious God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the kingdom he brings is one that we, one that we long for. That he will do away with evil and injustice. 
Thank you that the kingdom is something that brings joy. We pray, Father, that you'd help us have our eyes centered on Jesus and that kingdom, on the joy we get from that. And please, we pray for any who are here this morning who aren't yet part of the kingdom. Please help them grapple with what they need to to understand, to uh, get the info, to investigate, to dig deep, so they might know Jesus and the joy it is to belong to his kingdom. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.